Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you're listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And with me today, all the way from the West Coast, is Alex Nichols. Alex is a teacher and a writer. How are you doing, Alex? I'm great. How are you, Mike? I'm doing really well, and uh, we were just catching up, and it's been super fun because we used to teach together for, I think, like six, seven years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Mike was my boss at one point. Only at one point, though. So <laughs> He used to do my performance reviews. That is correct. That was a little nerve-wracking, yeah. But I, I never, I mean, I, if anything, I promoted you, so you were, you were excellent. Yes, exactly, yes. Um, <laughs> it's a good, a good experience. And actually, one of the reasons I'm having you on is because we used to have, like, really philosophically interesting conversations in the lunchroom. <laughs> yes, every day. Yeah. Um, get into all kinds of topics and there was another person we talked to i'm not gonna mention his name just because i don't know if he'd be comfortable with it but uh i might try to get in touch with him too for this actually um, oh i'd love to hear him talk about these topics yeah, yeah yeah so you know exactly what i'm talking about um so anyway for the people at home um alex are you still in san francisco i am yep all right cool and uh where are you from originally i grew up in a small town in southeastern minnesota called winona and, uh, and then at the age of 18 or right about there, did you go off to college? I did. I went first to New York for a summer and then I went to college in Massachusetts. Awesome. And where did you go and what did you study? Smith College. And I uh, majored in English and a sort of, you know, general liberal arts degree, but it was a concentration in English language and literature. Awesome. And then take us a little bit past that. What was the rest, the next step of your life like? Well, after I graduated, I went to New York for a year. And I worked in television production. I had interned for a soap opera, and then I moved back to New York, and I did production work freelance for them. Uh, but it was really competitive, and I uh, fell in love for the first time and decided to move to Arizona, of all places. So I went with Kelly, and we moved to Phoenix, and then things went horribly wrong, um, <laughs> as they often do with young love. Um, and it was actually in Phoenix where I started to get interested in uh, spirituality and new age and that sort of thing. Um, but I left Phoenix and I came to San Francisco and I've been here ever since. Awesome. And was that in the 90s when you were in Arizona? Yep, 95. So, so you had a love crisis in your early years, just like so, so, so many of us. Um, and you kind of sought into spirituality, which is something I'm familiar with. And uh, so where did that take you? You moved to San Francisco? Well, I, you know, I, I've started asking the question, why? You know, like, why had someone come into my life? And why had this happened? And um, so that led me to a lot of spiritual books and that sort of thing. People who, you know, think that, they, who attempt to answer this question. And there obviously are a lot of potential answers to why, why any one life goes the way it does. But I think I was searching for some kind of answer. Um, and then, you know, eventually kind of moved on with my life and worked in book publishing. And then I went to grad school where I ended up studying theology, religion. So that, the question of why never really left me. Yeah. And that's what I mean, meeting you, when I met you, you don't 
come across, and this is a compliment, it sounds like it's not one, you don't come across as someone who went to school and studied theology. And what I mean by that, just for our listeners, because maybe people who listen did study theology, is that you didn't bring it up a lot. You didn't mention it. You weren't like overt about anything. You were just, you're, you're a very agreeable, nice person, um, at first, at least. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, so... So I was fascinated when you told me about this because I, I just was, and I and you're very smart and you're well read and you, uh, you know, obviously with the English background and everything, you were a teacher at an English school with me. So, so yeah. So what? How was that experience? What did you study in school? How did it strike you? Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? Well, I went there. The, the school that I went to is in Berkeley. It's above the main campus there. It's on a place called Holy Hill, and it's a consortium, a bunch of different religious schools. And you can take classes at any of the different schools. So there's a Unitarian Universalist school, and there's a Dominican school, and there's an Episcopal school. And so you can take all of these different classes that have a slightly different focus. And so I took a kind of broad range of classes, Buddhism, and a class on uh, civil rights, and some general classes. Um, but the, I think the, real, the core issue for me was that I was I was really struggling with this notion of, you know, I'm a lesbian, I have been in love, and it hasn't worked out. And, you know, what? how do I fit into any religion? Because in so many traditional religions, uh, being gay is not, I mean, you have a, there's a dichotomy. You can either be a religious person or you can be a gay person. And I think that sort of inner conflict was what was driving a lot of these studies. Um, and I'd hoped that the experience of being in a seminary, that I would meet um, other people who were struggling in a similar way. But what I found was that everyone was much more advanced in their spiritual journey, or they seemed to be. Um, and so they had already felt accepted by God. And I didn't. And so it was a strange time in my life. So I don't know ultimately what I determined from it, but I did learn a lot about religion. I ultimately learned that there are plenty of people who don't feel this conflict that I felt. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, And you learned that from meeting people who said that or from reading about it? Or like, what was it that made you confident about that? Well, I think it was just sort of the cumulative experience of meeting all of these different people. And I should, I mean, I should, I should say that not everyone I met in this environment was gay-friendly by any means. There were, depending on the class, depending on the professor, some people were not very accepting of gay people. But I would say, overall, I came away from it um, with the sense that there are a lot of people who don't really struggle with this idea that... Um, with this, with this dichotomy that was in my mind. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, um, being of a similar age and from a similar environment, I'm not gay, but like growing up in the era when it was talked about dismissively or negatively or both, and then seeing it, you know, kind of change and ebb and flow. What was it like for you? Like, did you come out early in life or like, what was your, um, when was the moment where you were certain you were a lesbian, but also like uncertain about, God and family and all that acceptance meaning. Well, let's see. Did those things all happen at the same time? (laughs) 
Well, what's interesting about it is that Kelly, my ex, is a very spiritual person. And so we had uh, a kind of spiritual connection. Um, and so that may have been the sort of starting point. I don't remember being particularly spiritually curious in college. I think that was a much more secular time. But I think it was some something about meeting Kelly and being in Arizona and then just the, the progress of my life, things happening that I think I had internalized this idea that, you know, there's a God who, who does things to people, like things happen, happen to you rather than this more kind of new agey co-creation that you sometimes hear about where, you know, you're, you're creating your own reality, you're making your own choices, that sort of thing. But I think I had internalized this idea that God was outside of me and was giving me these challenges in life. And I wanted to know why. But maybe at some point the question kind of changed or my notion of God, of God kind of shifted. And maybe I don't see it that way anymore. That's fascinating. And I'm, I have so many questions that relate, but because um, we're talking about identity formation and then we're also really talking about the nuts and bolts of this podcast, which is my main question I ask guests is, what do you think happens when you die? So I think I want to ask this question with a little bit of a twist to it. When you were uncertain about whether God could love you specifically because of your sexual orientation, what did you, if anything, think happened when you died? Did you think you had a soul? Yes, I think that, you know, I was raised Catholic. My mother was Catholic. My father is not, uh, he's non-practicing. So my mom took us to church every Sunday. And she, to this day, is a very strict Catholic. Um, and I think I internalized this, I, this, the Catholic notion of the afterlife. That when I die, I would be faced with God in some form. And I would, I, I, I think I honestly imagine having to debate with him <laughs> sexual orientation because in the Catholic, I mean, if you know Catholicism, you're supposed to repent of your sins before you die. And often to a priest, you're supposed to say, I'm sorry for my sins. And so what does a gay person do in that situation? <laughs> because I am, I'm certainly sorry for the people I've hurt. And for the times I've been unkind or my selfishness, you know, any of those things, I would genuinely repent. But I have a real problem repenting over my sexual orientation. And, but I think that my, my conception of the afterlife was I would have to either repent or, uh, you know, face punishment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so, I mean, it's, it's sad, first and foremost, but it's also fascinating to me because... Is it is it explicitly written in and keep in mind I was raised Jewish slash nothing, so I have no knowledge of Catholicism beyond what you and other people tell me. Is it specifically mentioned that like being gay is wrong, that that is a sin, that that is against the Bible, or is that like an interpretive thing that came? Well, this is what I studied. So there are seven mentions of homosexuality in the in the scriptures. Um I think Three of them are in Leviticus, which you may be familiar with because it's the Jewish holy code. It's where you see things like, uh, it's where the kosher uh, laws come from. Don't mix certain foods, don't, you know, all of these things. Um, but they, there is a prohibition against homosexuality, a couple of them, I think. And then in the New Testament, um, there are several mentions. I think they, 
the writings of Paul, who was a Jew who converted and is one of the influential early Christians. Um, in Romans and a couple of other places, they talk about, you know, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination, this sort of thing. So there definitely are explicit mentions in both the Christians called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and then, and so this is the, the foundation for some of these denominations that oppose homosexuality. Um, but then there are others that uh, are more progressive and have uh, challenged ways that the Bible has been used in the past and have challenged whether or not people at the time really understood homosexuality. So, there, you know, homosexuality existed in the ancient world. Um, you know, if you've ever studied ancient history, that was a really crazy time. Um, prostitution was legal and women were put to death for adultery. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, rather wild times. And I think that the scriptures reflect that, that they're making a lot of judgments about these kinds of behaviors. But is that the same as a modern uh, gay person who is in a monogamous relationship or, you know, something like that? Like, are the are these two things the same? Yeah, it's it's weird because I want to like ask a splitting hairs question just because it actually does matter to my my intellectual mind wants to know the references you mentioned were about men laying with other men. So do you think there's like a loophole? <laughs> Probably not, because remember, this was a time when men were supreme. So, you know, rules mattered more. I mean, men mattered more. And so rules were more aimed at men. Um, you know, so women were put to death, death, death for adultery, but men could have legally, I mean, this is non-Christian men, these are pagan men, could legally have sex with either male or female servants. So this is the world that we're talking about. It's, well, I, I mean, so so let's flash forward now again to you in your um, like 20s trying to figure this all out. You've gone through a bad breakup. You're in a seminary school. You're learning about theology. You're learning that yes, you're not wrong. There is direct, like, you are not going to go to heaven, scriptures and all that. So let's jump to now, where you are now. Do, where do you stand now with the afterlife and the notion of the soul? Well, I would say that I'm an agnostic. Um, I, I mean, all of this, all that I'm talking about, all of this study and all of this reading that I've done has never gotten me to the point where I feel any more certain Um of what happens when you die or of the existence of God or gods or any of these things. What I have is just a lot of knowledge about other people's opinions about this. Um, I can tell you, you know, sort of who wrote the Bible and, and how people interpreted it. And, I've, you know, people who claimed in the modern era to have died and gone to heaven and all of this stuff, I have all this knowledge, but no certainty of what any of it means. Yeah, and that's a pretty common place, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and you're not bitter and you're not mad. You're just, like, honestly, hands up in a shrug formation. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, so does that help you or hurt you to sleep at night when things in the world aren't going the way you'd like to see them go? I don't know that it, it helps or it hurts. I think that um, – I think I've just accepted that there are some things that I will never – some questions will never be answered to my satisfaction. And that, that's true in this area, and it's true just in life. But 
Um, and I like the ideas of questions having answers, um, but some don't. That's a great, great statement. I actually love that. That's um, you're confidently unconfident. It's like a cool, cool place to be. And actually, that's kind of how I remember thinking of you when we used to talk at lunch is that you were like always allowing me and other people in that lunchroom because it wasn't just three people. There were more to have their opinions, but then you also have yours and then you would be interesting to talk back and forth with. So what um, I consider you a moral person. You're, you're a good person. You're a nice person. I've seen you open doors and hold them for people. I've seen you pick up other people's trash. Uh, what compels you to do good and what prevents you from doing bad, if anything? Well, I'm heavily... I mean, guilt is a really strong part of my personality. Um, and so I think that even if I, if I fully accepted that there was no God, um, I feel guilty when I do unkind things. Um, or, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know, I just see value in doing nice things or being a good person. Um, even if there's no ultimate meaning to it, I just, that's, that's, I guess that's my psychology. So does this affect the way you like vote and the way you feel about like current events? So I'm not asking in a political way, like, do you vote Democrat or Republican? What I'm trying to ask is with issues of violence and like things, actions that you wouldn't do that make you feel guilty. Do you just think, oh, these people must not have the guilt gene and that's why? Or, or do you have any theory on why some people don't do good things because it feels good and don't not do bad things because of guilt. I, I suspect there are people who are not driven by guilt. I think guilt is a, is present in certain religions. Catholicism and Judaism are both known for it. Um, but I think some people maybe feel that they don't feel guilty. There also are psychological disorders where people I think really can't control their behavior. Um, and there also is just corruption, you know. I think some people lose, kind of lose their proverbial soul and become so power happy that they don't, they don't care anymore. So, and this is kind of what we used to talk about a lot because we, we taught at a adult language school. So it was, it was for primarily people over 18 who were coming to America to learn English better, to either take back home into their jobs or to go to university, et cetera. And so we would deal with what, you know, we called cross culture, which is teaching people from places that have laws that are very different from us, both moral and literal. And, uh, you know, some of it was offensive is the wrong word because that's not really your or my personality, but it was not to our taste. And um, yeah. And so I always thought you were like very patient with that. And especially as a lesbian, when we had a lot of clients from countries where that's like anything but okay. I would watch you silently and I don't want to say suffer because it's the opposite. You would silently let them be who they are. And so that's like a quality I admire. And I'm curious if in your self uh, self-reflection, you could explain that. <laughs> How are you intellectual and emotionally involved with the human world yet able to not let it affect you that much? Well, I think it does affect me very deeply. And I think that I, I have struggled with depression on and off. And I do believe it is situational depression. I think living in a world and having to be exposed to people who 
you know, judge you and don't like you. And, and there, and, and it's that you mentioned the school, but that was one of the hardest times for me because some of the students were, were really homophobic. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. hundred percent. And it, it's probably the most, the, the most that I've ever had to deal with that directly. Um, because in American culture, I think it is kind of different, but it, I, I, I don't feel unaffected by it. I think that I'm able maybe to be professional in a, in a professional setting, but in terms of the impact on my life, I would say, um, it's been, the homophobia is, is hurtful and I think it affects mental health and self-esteem and you have to be really strong to overcome that. And so as, as an agnostic self, you, you said you were agnostic, um, does it like, ever cross your mind that biology does or does not produce gay people and race and like these other like somewhat social constructs somewhat not social constructs like do you have an actual opinion on that i keep saying i don't know but i would say that i really don't know no no that's fine i'm you're just my guest and i want to hear your answers well i've seen some evidence and i've never studied biology formally um but I've, i've i've read some things written by biologists and, you know, some people do believe that uh, homosexuality has a, a genetic or biological origin and other people don't. Um, and so there's a whole school of they, they're called essentialists and non-essentialists. Uh, uh, these are scholars who either believe that you're born that way or you're not. And the essentialists born that way are actually statistically a very small number of people. And that's a little surprising given what the American cultural attitude is right now. In terms of scholarship, most are non-essentialists. It's where you get this idea of queerness from, which is that sexual orientation is fluid and changeable and that sort of thing. Uh, But I think because of the political times, that message is maybe more limited to academic settings, and, and so on. Maybe less so now, but it, I think initially when the, there, was, there was a struggle for gay rights, everyone sounded like an essentialist. Yeah, that's, I, I completely agree. Um, that's my, growing up, I, I mean, I'm born in the 80s, but growing up in the 90s, coming of age, that was definitely what I was kind of, not fed to think, but that's definitely how I kind of came up with it. But it's it's just fascinating to me because this is a podcast about like morality and whether or not that we have a soul and you're answering the questions honestly and truthfully and and you're making me think a lot of like larger thoughts about it but what i'm really concerned about is you in your headspace at night and you in your headspace uh far 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 in the future when you're gonna die like do you think that maybe part of this life for you is just you figuring all this out like does that sound familiar to you yeah, I mean, I've I've studied um, you know Eastern concepts of karma and that people are born um, to learn certain things, and so you know you have karmic lessons that you need to learn, and it's possible that you know if, if this is true, I don't know that I believe it, but if it's true, you're born um, that this is my particular karma that I'm going to go through this, and then when I've learned everything that I can learn. I will be released and then presumably, you know, reincarnated or something. So maybe I chose this or my consciousness chose it or God chose it. But for some reason, I needed to go through this just in terms of my soul's growth. And you have, you have uh, I believe, two or three nieces and nephews. 
I have two nephews and one niece. Two nephews and one niece. Okay. And you're very close to them and you're like a very loving doting aunt. And I know you spend a lot of time with them as they grow up. Do they ever ask you questions about theology and do you ever supply answers? Well, I did last year. I did teach my two nephews. Um, they were out of school as most kids were home, you know, uh, distance learning. And so to help their mom a bit, I did some teaching and I taught them about religion and the older one, it's funny, they're quite different. The older one is not open-minded about religion and he's kind of like his mother that way. And I don't know if that will change, but he's just, he just doesn't have the interest in it. But the younger one seems more philosophical. And so I've always promised that I would take them to the Holy Land one day. But I'm kind of thinking maybe only the younger one actually wants to go. It's one of my big dream trips. Tell, tell me about that. Why is that a big dream? Well, I've, you know, I've spent so much time reading about this area and studying ancient history. But I just like to go and see it and get a sense of what it's like. And would this change any of, of what I've read about? Do you meet people, uh, gay people, I'm going to say, so any gender, doesn't matter, any sexual orientation that isn't quote unquote straight who are religious who are christians or catholics or jewish yes in, including in the my grad school experience there were several people like that so how the how the bleep do they reconcile <laughs> well i think that they um they have somehow resolved this they think that it you know this is between me and god and i feel forgiven and um so they i think they just have more trust in god than i do um, and so they, they, they have resolved that conflict. And so have you ever had any close calls with death? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious because you don't seem like a freak out person. So it's funny that you've never had that experience because I would think you'd be very calm and cool, like with something terrifying. I, I suspect so. Yes. I think I think the, the more frightened I become, the calmer I seem. So, so I mean, I, I just, it seems to me like you're, you're, um, you did say that you suffer from depression, that it's situational. And I would agree with that. I would say like, yeah, that makes sense to me. So do you have more room in you to do more spiritual quest work in your life? And are you going to continue to like study and read and, and pay attention? Or are you more resigned to just like enjoying this life? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I definitely feel that pull that I'm interested in exploring more religion and spirituality um, at times. And then other times I feel, you know, that I just want to enjoy this world. So I would say definitely a little bit of both. And I think everything in moderation. Very cool. And I have my last question for you and then I'll let you go. What would you tell a young woman who is coming through a similar situation as yourself. They're coming out of a bad breakup and they're confused whether God would love them or not because of their sexual orientation and, and just the things you went through. What advice would you have for someone in a similar boat, but specifically female? I would say don't be afraid to uh, look at topics that scare you. Um, so sort of walk into the fear because I think it gets better once you get beyond it. Wow, that is profound. Well, Alex Nichols, thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. We've had some real experts on and you've supplied some new and crucial information that I think our listeners will love. So thank you again so much. And as always, my name is Mike Oppenheim and you've been listening to Coffin Talk, exit interviews with the living and we'll see you soon. Walking alone when
Walking alone.